0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, in our Gospel text for this morning, Jesus tells His disciples that there will come a day on which He will return. That this world won't continue on forever as it currently seems to be doing. That there's a day appointed on which Christ will return and judge this world. Now, when is this last day going to arrive? What are the signs? Are we getting close? Well, as it pertains to the question of when, Christ gives us a pretty clear answer. No one knows the day or the hour, not even Christ, but only the Father in heaven. Now, some have tried to take this passage and twist its meaning, in order to prove that somehow Christ was less than fully God. But this is clearly contrary to the teaching of Scripture. Christ is always fully God and fully man. But Scripture also teaches that when Christ came down from heaven in his first advent and took on our human flesh, that he disguised his divinity. He came in the form of a servant. He allowed himself to hunger, to thirst, to suffer, and even to die. When Christ says here in this text that even he doesn't know the day or the hour, it's because he chooses not to know. He hides this knowledge from himself. And there's a note of comfort in that for us, because in hiding that knowledge from himself, Christ is stepping directly into one of our biggest sources of anxiety and concern, the future. What's tomorrow going to bring? Here, Christ is reassuring us that it's okay to be in the dark when it comes to this question. He's showing us that it's okay to leave tomorrow in God's hands. He's redirecting our focus away from knowing when the last day will come. And instead, he's helping us to ask the right question. How can I be ready when the day does come? Because that's really the main message that Jesus has for us here. On that day, whenever it comes, be ready. But as we look out at our world today, we find that many are not ready. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in these last days. Those in Noah's day chose to ignore the warnings that came through Noah's preaching. and Instead, they busied themselves with the affairs and concerns of life. Eating, drinking, working, marrying, raising families. They had no ounce of fear that they would soon be held accountable for their wickedness that they would soon be judged. Right up until the day that Noah entered the ark, this generation lived as if it was completely and utterly unaccountable to God. They were unprepared. They weren't ready. And as it was in those former days, so it is in these last days with our generation. Though All the warning signs are there. Earthquakes, floods. Famines, increasing destruction and violence, wars and rumors of wars. But when the world looks at these things, does it repent? No, it doesn't. It shuts its eyes. It stops up its ears. It scoffs at those who preach about a coming judgment. It looks at chaos and it calls it progress. It looks at perversion and it calls it evolution. It looks at evil, and it calls it good. It does everything in its power to silence the natural knowledge of God, the law that is written on their hearts and in their consciences, which, which warns them that their deeds are wicked and that they deserve God's wrath. Those in this generation distract themselves by filling their days and their months and even their years with the affairs and concerns of this life. They suppress the knowledge of their own mortality. They don't want to believe that they're ever going to die. They act as gods, as if their lives were going to continue on forever, as if there will never come a day on which they will have to give an account. They build temples to themselves made out of beauty, fame, and power, money education virtue but no matter how high they build they will never build high enough to escape the coming flood of judgment a flood this time not of water but of fire one that will melt every false idol and burn to ash every false temple that day will come suddenly and many will not be ready. And that is why Christ warns us. He says, don't be like those of this generation who are unready. Don't live distracted by the cares of this world. Don't let your heart be seduced by the false promise that there's always going to be another tomorrow. Don't deceive yourself by believing that God's Judgment on those who make a practice of sin will never come. Repent. And like Noah, when you repent, you will find favor in the eyes of God. Like Noah, God will provide a way of salvation. Therefore, when you hear of these things, when you see the signs that the day is drawing near, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid, and don't despair. Instead, look up. Look up with the hopeful anticipation of Christ's return. Because on that day, when Christ returns, bringing his sudden flood of judgment on this world, you will be ready. Because like those eight souls who God preserved in Noah's day, so Christ is going to preserve you, within the ark of his church. Consider for a moment how it is that Christ first brings you into the boat, how he brings you safely into his church through the flood of your baptism. Now, in a lot of older churches, the baptismal font is actually placed near the entrance. It's placed there to signify that it's at the font that you enter the boat. Your old man is judged through that flood of water. But out of that flood, Christ grabs a hold of you. He brings forth a new man through the power of his word. And just as God sealed Noah and his family safely within the ark, Christ also seals you. He seals you in your baptism by giving you the Holy Spirit. He gives you the Holy Spirit as a guarantee and a sign that you are not destined for destruction that you are being kept safe in the boat until the day that you're delivered into his eternal kingdom. But not only are you made ready through your baptism, but you are kept ready through the ministry of the church, as the church carries out its mission to proclaim the gospel to sinners and to nourish their souls through the Holy Supper. That's the chief reason why we gather here in this place week after week in this space that we quite aptly call a nave, which, by the way, that word nave comes from the Latin, the Latin word for boat. As you sit here this morning, you are literally sitting in the boat. When we gather here in the boat, Christ comes to us. He meets us here through his word and here through his body and blood. In this place where heaven meets earth, Christ makes us ready for his return by reminding us of everything that he's done for us. How He snatched us from the grasp of the devil, how he's paid the cost for our redemption through his innocent suffering and death, and how he's ascended to victory at the right hand of the Father, and how he's coming again to judge this world and to present us guiltless before the Father. So don't be afraid when you hear that Christ is returning, because in Christ, you're in the boat. You're kept safe in the church. You're ready. And since Christ has made you ready, then live like you're ready. Christ hasn't called you to predict when He will return, but if He has called you to proclaim the certainty that he will return. So proclaim it. Make a good confession before the world. That's what Paul means in our epistle reading this morning when he says, The hour has come to wake from sleep, to cast off the works of darkness, to put on the armor of light, to walk properly as in the daytime, and to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the Christian life isn't a locked down life. There's no sheltering in place while we wait for Christ's return. As we see the day approaching, we are to remember our calling and to live out the reality of our baptism. And that means that we go into the world with the good news on our lips. That means standing firm in the faith and not capitulating to the demands of this world that we silence our confession. In some cases, that means patiently enduring trial and suffering and even persecution in these last days for the sake of Christ. You may be familiar with the story of Ignatius. He was bishop of the church of Antioch in the first century. He lived so close to the church's founding that he very well could have known the Apostle John. Some church traditions suggest that. As an old man, Ignatius was arrested during the reign of the Emperor Trajan, and he was sent to Rome, where he was torn apart by lions in the arena. On his way to Rome to face martyrdom, he wrote seven letters to the surrounding churches, to encourage his fellow Christians to remain steadfast in their faith. In one of those letters, he writes this. Now I begin to be a disciple, and let no one of things visible or invisible envy me that I should attain to Christ. Let fire in the cross, let the crowds of wild beasts, let tearings, breakings, and dislocations of bones, let cutting off of members, let shatterings of the whole body, and let all the dreadful torments of the devil come upon me. Only let me attain to Christ Jesus. Only Christians can die like this, because only Christians have been made truly ready. And thanks be to God, you are also ready. Christ has placed you safely in the boat. You've been made ready to die because of the one who came the first time to die in your place. And by the grace of God you've been made ready to live again because of the one who rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, and who will come a second time on that day to raise you and all believers. So, as you see the day approaching, be alert, be watchful, be ready, because that day is coming soon. Christ is coming again. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.